morning. Let's stand for the reading of God's Word. John chapter number 12. Now, we've been, uh, our theme this year is stand, and we continue to just uh, try to lead the direction the Lord would have for us, stand ye in the way and see. And so this series that will probably conclude next Sunday is, uh, I've been calling it Remember. Of course, if you're like me, the older I get, I uh, seem to forget things and need to remember things. And a lot of times it's like, that's, that's uh, Nathan the preacher uh, right there. So they pinched him, the poor boy. But uh, he, So here's the thing is, is, if you're like me, a lot of times uh, you might hear something and then you go, oh yeah, I remember that. Uh, it's, a lot of times we forget things and I'm always glad that God is so gracious to us that he gives us his word and he's given us his spirit to remind us of some things. Like, for instance, tonight we're going to have the Lord's table. And Jesus, of course, said this. He said, do this as oft as ye will in remembrance of me. Well, what are we remembering? Well, we come together as the church to remember his sacrifice, that he gave his body and he gave his blood so that we could have eternal life. And so tonight's going to be a wonderful time to remember, but this morning God has for us something else that he wants us to remember. And so I've entitled our lesson this morning from the Word of God, Remember After the Fact. <laughs> You'll see that in just a moment because you know, the disciples were like many of us. We remember things afterwards instead of when God wants us to remember them. Now, if you have your Bibles or you have your notes there, you'll find the text there also. John 12, beginning in verse number 12. The Bible says, On the next day, much people that were come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took branches of palm trees, and went forth to meet him and cried, Hosanna, blessed is the king of Israel that cometh in the name of the Lord. And Jesus, when he had found a young ass, sat thereon, as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, thy king cometh, sitting on an ass's colt. These things understood not his disciples at the first. But when he was glorified, then remembered they that these things were written of him and that they had done these things unto him. Now, I, as you look at the platform, and maybe you can see it from where you're sitting or standing, we have laid out some, some clothes as a just really kind of a, a, a picture this morning. And of course, we have palm branches. Now, I was really glad when God put this on my heart to do that because I thought to myself, I'm glad I'm in Florida because palm branches are everywhere. Now, if I was in Missouri or Texas, I might struggle trying to find some palm branches, but hey, around here, they're just everywhere. But this morning, this is a reminder of what we're going to study of what Jesus did that we just read about. Now, this, this morning really kind of is a memorial to what we call Palm Sunday. 
It's a special day for Christians. It has great significance. But really, when you look at it biblically, it is what happened one Sunday before what we call Easter or Resurrection Sunday. And with that in mind, let's have a word of prayer, and then we'll let you be seated and get into the Bible this morning. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the Word of God and for the freedom to come and worship you. And Lord, I pray that as we see the garments, we see the palm branches, we see the Word of God this morning and we're reminded maybe of something that even your own disciples that were with you uh, could not remember until it was after you were glorified. Lord, may we not only be reminded today, but every day of not only your coming, but what you did when you came. Now bless your word, bless our time. I pray that if there is someone here this morning that has never received you as Lord and Savior, that they would do that before it's eternally too late. And we pray this in your precious name. Amen. You may be seated this morning. Thank you for standing. Now again, today is one of those days that is a reminder of the time that Jesus, listen, was about to suffer that he was about to die on the cross for our sins, and that, of course, we know that he rose, as you just heard the song, Jesus is alive today. But it is also a week that we call the Passion Week. Now, I don't know if you've ever heard that. There are many times what they call the Passion Play and various things that deal with the word passion, but the truth is, is that Passion is a word that comes from the Bible. Look in your notes there. You see Acts chapter 1 and verse number 3. Now the Bible says, To whom also he, Jesus, showed himself. What's that next word? Say it again. It's what? He showed himself alive. And I don't know about you this morning. I'm glad that he is alive. But the Bible says he showed himself alive after his what? passion. Now, again, we see that it says here, by many infallible proofs. He was seen by them for how many days? 40 days. Now, look, if you've studied the Bible long enough and you've been in church, you probably have heard that Jesus, the Bible indicates here, that he had, when he came, what we would call his earthly ministry. Now, the Bible says for about 30 years of his life, uh, there, was a, there was a time period up to about the age of 12 where Jesus was subject unto his parents. He was the model perfect child. But from the, ch- the age of 12 to the age of 18, we really are for 18 years to the age of 30, we really don't know much about what happened in those 18 years. They're oftentimes referred to as the years of silence. Now, no doubt we can speculate and have our own opinions about Maybe he worked with Joseph, who was his uh, earthly father, that maybe he was learning the trade of carpentry. No doubt, everything that Jesus did, he was doing good. He was probably, uh, again, the, the best child, the best son that his parents had. But one thing we do know is that when Jesus turned 30, that he began about a three, three and a half year period where he began to do the work that his father sent him to do. Now, when you look at this, the Bible says that not only did he have a ministry before he went to the cross, but he had a ministry after 
he uh, rose from the grave. The Bible says that he showed himself. Now, he showed himself to some of the women, and he showed himself to 10 of his disciples. And then he, when Thomas showed up, he showed himself again to the 11. And the Bible says at one time, he even showed himself up to 500 of his disciples. Now, why would he do that? Because there were many that said, and remember when he died, Joseph of Arimathea put him in his to a brand new tomb that never had a body been placed before, and Joseph rolled a stone over the entrance. Now, if it is the actual one, many of us uh, traveled a couple of years ago, went to the Holy Land, we went into that tomb, and guess what? Jesus and his bones and his body are no longer there. Now, a lot of people said that what happened was, was somebody rolled the stone away and they said they took his body, and then they said that he had risen from the dead. Now, the Bible tells us, look at it again, Acts 1-3. After his passion, he was showed himself alive by many infallible proofs. In other words, Jesus left no doubt. Uh, I mean, th there were many times that he was seen that he was alive after his passion. And notice, what did he do during that 40 uh, 40 days. The Bible says that he was speaking the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Before he ascended, he began to share other things. Now, much of what he shared with his disciples were things that he shared with them before he gave his life for the sins of the world. Now, this word here that says after his passion, that's a word that the, the, the it, you find this in the Old Testament. It's the word pascha or pasco. Now, the word here literally is our English word, and we find it in the Bible, it's the word Passover, like the feast of the Passover. And most of us understand where the death angel was going to pass through, and of course the blood had be, to be applied to the doorpost, to the lintel, so that the death angel would pass by. Well, understand here, this word means to undergo a painful experience. It's talking about suffering, all right? And so when we think about Jesus after his passion, everything Jesus went through, now we're celebrating today Palm Sunday. It is the day that is marked that we can remember, just like every year you remember your birthday, the day that you were born. Today we remember the day Jesus rode into the city of Jerusalem that would begin a week that was unlike any week that any of us will ever experience. It's the week of his passion, the week of his suffering, as the Bible talks about it. Now, on that particular day, as you see the illustration this morning, Jesus would get on a, a, a donkey. He would ride that into the city of Jerusalem, and when he did, the people would lay their garments, and they would lay, lay, uh, lay palm branches or even wave palm branches as he came into the city. I think we have a little picture here just to kind of uh, depict that a little bit. But uh, there you go right there. And again, it's just maybe a reenactment of what particularly happened on that day. Now, why would the people do this? Why would they lay their coats and the palm branches on the ground? And here it is. It was a very symbolic act. And what they were doing as they laid the coats and the palm branches and waved them was... They were treating Jesus just like they would treat a king. When a king would come, 
they would do this. Now you find this in the Old Testament. Notice in your notes, 2 Kings 9, 13. Then they hasted and took every man his garment and put it under him on the top of the stairs and blew with trumpets saying, Jehu is king. When a king or a conquering ruler would come into a city, many times what would happen is the people would create a sort of like a carpeting, kind of a uh, with their garments, with their palm branches. It, it, today it would be uh, equivalent to what we would say rolling out the red carpet. They were giving them the royal treatment. Now, when Jesus rode into the city, maybe looking a little bit like this scene, here's what was on the hearts and minds of the people. Their minds and their hearts was they had hopes that this one that they had heard about, this one that had done so many mighty miracles, that he was coming so that he would be their king, so that he would overthrow the tyrannical government of the Roman Empire that they were being so oppressed by. That was their desire. They wanted a king, and they wanted a king right now. Now, in the Old Testament, this day, as we look in John 12, is the actual time Jesus did come. But the Old Testament prophet Zechariah actually prophesied that this day was going to happen long before the day actually came. And I want you to see there in your notes or on the screen this morning, Zechariah 9 in verse number 9. The Bible says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on an ass, and upon a colt, the foal of an ass. Now, when Jesus made this entry that is oftentimes called his triumphal entry into the city of Jerusalem, it really was a signal that this was the beginning of the very last week of his ministry. The whole purpose why Jesus came. You see, if he would have come from heaven, that would have been wonderful, but that wouldn't have been enough. Jesus had to come. He had to go to the cross. He had to give his life so that we can have eternal life. And that week was about to begin, but it was being signaled by what we call Palm Sunday. Now, what a wonderful time. Many of his disciples, as Jesus entered into the city, were praising him. But interesting that not long from this, there would be those that would reject him. The people that he came for actually would reject him. The Bible says, look at it there in your notes, and I never forgot this verse the first time I saw it, John 1, verse 11. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. Now, let me help you understand the fullness of that verse, because here's what it's really dealing with, is Jesus, who is God, who is a part of creation, the Bible says, by him, all things consist. So I think it's fair to say, and I think it is Bible, that Jesus was a part of creation. The Bible says in the Genesis account, let us make man in our own image. So the Bible clearly tells us that Jesus 
is co-equal, co-existent with God the Father. And yet here, when he finally comes into the city of Jerusalem to announce who he is, that he is about to give his life for everyone, for the sins of the world, the Bible says he came unto his own creation. He came unto the world that he created, and his own people, the Jewish people, the nation of Israel, received him not. Luke actually writes of this. Notice Luke 19, 14. But his citizens hated him and sent a message after him saying, we will not have this man to reign over us. The Old Testament prophet Isaiah said he was despised and rejected of men, and we esteemed him not. Now, I want you to look again in your Bible there in John chapter 12, and I want you to look at the verse again, verse number 16. And the Bible says this, these things, all of what had happened, all that was going to happen in the next few days during this week of his passion, notice these things understood not his disciples at the first. But when Jesus was glorified, then remembered they that these things were written of him and that they had done these things unto him. You see, what was happening was Jesus' own disciples, his followers that were with him for that three and a half years, as Jesus was riding into Jerusalem, his disciples were not even conscious that the prophecy of Zechariah was actually being fulfilled right before their very eyes. In other words, hindsight is twenty-twenty. They really should have understood this. They were now seeing with their own eyes their coming king. But the Bible says they had missed it before. Now, maybe it was because their minds were clouded by tradition. See, traditional Jewish interpretation of the Messiah, the promised one, is that when the Messiah comes, that the Jews believe that he would be some political leader, or maybe even a military leader, or maybe even both. But when Jesus came, in spite of all that he had said to them, in spite of everything that he had taught them, it was not until after his passion, it was not till after he was glorified or resurrected that their perspective changed. They remembered then the prophecy. Now from Zechariah's prophecy in chapter number 9, I want you to remember this morning the king that Zechariah was speaking of, that he wrote about. The king is coming. Now we live in a time where the king has come. But notice with me this morning again, Zechariah 9 and verse number 9. The Bible says again, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding upon an ass and upon a colt, the foal of an ass. Now it's interesting, when Zechariah wrote those words, and if you know where the book of Zechariah is in your Bible, and again, not all of the, the Bible is chronologically, in other words, time order. 
But you find the book of Zechariah, although it's not a large book, it's very close to the end of the Old Testament of your Bible. When Zechariah penned those words, and of course the Bible says all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, but when Zechariah wrote those words, Jerusalem, the city of Jerusalem, was lying in ruins. You remember how the Bible records and history records that Jerusalem was destroyed by the Babylonians in 586 B.C. The city was desolated, and now it's about 520 B.C., and there are maybe few of the Jews that have returned back to the devastated city of Jerusalem. And those that had gone back, many of them are involved in the project of rebuilding the city and, of course, rebuilding the the temple and other things that were destroyed. Now, Zechariah is writing this prophecy to to say prophecy. We're talking about he is foretelling. He's telling about something that is yet future, that is going to happen. And remember that everything God says happens. Not one prophecy of God, not one word of God falls to the ground. So here Zechariah is writing about what is going to take place in this prophecy. Now, as he writes, Zechariah is not focusing on the tragedy of this city that is broken. Instead, he is looking down, if I can call it this, the telescope of time, and he is seeing a day when Jerusalem will be visited by the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He is writing about this time that we are looking at today in John chapter number 12. He sees the day when the Messiah will come and Jerusalem will be filled with his glory. And so from Zechariah 9, I want you this morning with me to look at three elements about the prophecy of the coming king. We call it Palm Sunday. Notice the first thing about this prophecy is, is that it is a powerful prophecy, a powerful prophecy. Zechariah 9 and verse 9, the Bible says, Thy king cometh unto thee, listen, having salvation. Did you hear that? Neither is there salvation in any other. There is none other name given among men whereby we must be saved. You see, salvation only comes by Jesus. And the Bible says, thy king cometh having salvation. Now, as Zechariah is writing these words, what is, he, what is he telling the people? He's telling them about this most anticipated event in human history. It was going to be something that would come to pass and it would take place in Jerusalem. Now, remember, when he wrote it, there was no Jerusalem. It was completely destroyed. But, you know, when you think about this, it brings my mind back to all the way back to the first book in the Bible, and that is the book of Genesis. Remember how the Bible says that God created everything that is in this world. There was, think about it, God created everything out of nothing. There was nothing here. And even to this day, God is the one that keeps the world together. But the Bible reminds us that God created everything in six literal days, and on Uh, On that last day, after creating everything, God decided 
He was going to create the crown of his creation, and that was mankind. The Bible says God took the dust of the ground, and he formed man out of the dust of ground, and he breathed in him, and man became a living soul. You see, life does begin with God. And as we think about this, the Bible says that God says it's not good for man to be alone. Praise the Lord for that. And so God gave Adam a wife, and he placed him in what is known as the Garden of Eden. Now, most of us know the story. Life was good. God says you can have everything that's in the garden except what's on the tree in the midst of the garden. Well, human nature is we are sinful. And so they disobeyed God. And ever since that time that they disobeyed God, we find that mankind as a whole has been looking forward by faith to the day that a Redeemer would come and pay the debt of sin. Every man that's ever been, every woman uh, is looking, has, was looking for that day. Now the Bible tells us even there in Genesis chapter number 3, and it's an interesting verse in your notes there, notice the first mention that God gives of how He would save us, how He would redeem us. Look at Genesis 3.15. God says, I, notice it, that's a good way to start, I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed, and notice He says about it, it shall bruise thy head. And thou shalt bruise his heel. Now what's describing here is, of course, we understand the deceitful work of Satan in the garden. And and, and look, Satan for so long has thought that he has won. Just like when Jesus died on the cross, he thought that he had won. But the Bible says all the way back here in Genesis 3.15 that although Satan may bruise the heel, Jesus would deliver a blow to the head, which is a death blow. And we understand that what God was describing here in Genesis 3.15 is that through this prophecy that Jesus, the Son of God, would come and He would give His life, He would become the Redeemer of all mankind for thousands of years. When you study the Old Testament, here's what people were doing. They were bringing their animals, their sacrifices, They were shedding blood, and they were atoning for their sins. Now, the Bible tells us that it's never been by the blood of bulls and goats and by lambs that it would take precious blood, pure blood, to cover sins. And so, look, all of them in the Old Testament looked forward. They looked for a Redeemer that would take their sins away. Look in your notes at Hebrews 9.26. For then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world, but now, what's that next word? Once in the end of the world hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of what? Yeah, not a bull, not a goat, not a lamb, but the precious lamb of God. And notice the Bible says there, once. He sacrificed himself once. And as Jesus, who is the Lamb of God, began to come into the city of Jerusalem on that Palm Sunday, and he made his grand entrance, the people were shouting, Hosanna. 
Now that's a great word there, Hosanna. Here's what it means. Lord, please save us. And you know what that tells me? They needed saving. Guess what? We all need saving. We cannot save ourselves. They were crying out to God to save us. Now, where do you get that from? Even in the Old Testament, look at the psalm there, Psalm 118, verse 25. Save now, I beseech thee, O Lord, O Lord, I beseech thee, send now prosperity. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. That right there also is describing this particular day in John 12 that we're celebrating today, that we're remembering today. Why? Because, look, there, God has given us this prophecy from Zechariah. It's a powerful prophecy. We see it in the Word of God in the New Testament. Notice in the promise of the angel at the birth of Christ, Matthew 1, 21. She shall bring forth the Son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. Now, Jesus is a form of Joshua, which means Savior. And so the Bible says the reason they named him Jesus, notice For he shall save his people from their sins. Did you notice the Bible didn't say that the things that we do or the church we go to or the family that we're a part of? But the Bible says, for he shall save his people. Notice it's also seen in this powerful prophecy in the pronouncement of John the Baptist. Now, John the Baptist was the forerunner of Christ. God allowed John to have a ministry before Jesus began his earthly ministry. One day, John was out in the wilderness. People were coming out, and John was preaching the the baptism of Jesus. He He was preaching repentance, the Bible says. And notice the Bible says John sees Jesus coming to him one day in John 1, 29. And here's what he says, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Can I tell you this morning from the Word of God, when Jesus came, Jesus didn't take some or part of the sin debt uh, away from us. The Bible tells us that he paid the entire debt of sin that was owed by all of mankind. Look what the Bible says in Hebrews 10, 11. Every priest, now imagine these people that are a part of the priesthood Look at the Bible says they had to do. They standeth daily, day after day after day, ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. Now think about it, how, how weary, how toiling, day after day after day after day after day after day. After. You know, I'd hate to be a part of a man-made religion today that I I would have to get saved today and saved tomorrow and saved the next day and saved the next day. But the Bible says, look at it as we read on. But this man, now that was the priest and what they did day after day. And those sacrifices can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered how many sacrifices? One. And notice, one sacrifice for sins for how long? Forever. And then once he did that, he sat down on the right hand of God from henceforth expecting his, till his enemies be made his footstool for by one offering he, Jesus, had perfected forever them that are sanctified. 
That's why Zechariah writes, and that's why we need to this morning and every day remember that this day that we call Palm Sunday, it may not be Resurrection Sunday, but it's a day that we can remember the powerful prophecy that the whole reason that Jesus was about to come and give his life was so that he could save us from our sins. And I don't know about you this morning, aren't you glad that you're saved? Listen, if you're here this morning and you've never put your faith in Christ, listen, that's where life begins. It begins in Christ. And so we see that Zechariah's prophecy was a powerful one. But notice also it was a precise prophecy. You know, God is a God of order. I love the Bible. And it's very precise. And when Zechariah is is writing here, here's what he's telling them. He says, listen, there is a way that you're going to be able to tell exactly who he is when he comes. You ever, you ever traveled and maybe you're going to go visit family or whatever, and you make your plans, you get your tickets, and, and you get on the plane, you fly somewhere, and when you land, you know there's going to be somebody that's going to be there at the airport to pick you up. And so you'll ask them, you'll say, now listen, how am I going to know, you know who you are, you know? And most of the time, what do people do? Well, I'm going to be driving a, a black Toyota Camry. And so you're like, great. So you stand there at the curb. The cars are coming by, and there goes one black Toyota Camry. There goes another black Toyota Camry. There's like 15 or 20 of them, you know? And you're like, couldn't you get a little bit more specific, you know? Well, listen, the Bible is very precise. Zechariah says, look, I, I want you to understand there's some easy identifiable ways that you're going to be identified exactly. Now remember, even at this very time, today, 2020, and I don't mean this unkind, but the Jews missed the Messiah. They're still looking for him to come. But understand that he did come. And Zechariah says, look, there's a way that you're going to be able to recognize the king when he comes. Well, how do you do that? Notice two ways. You're going to be able to recognize him by his righteousness. Zechariah said he is just. Now, when you think about righteousness or that he is the just one, even Jeremiah the prophet gave one of the greatest messianic prophecies talking about the Messiah. Notice Zechariah 23, 5. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will raise up unto David a righteous branch, And a king shall reign and prosper and shall execute judgment and justice in the earth. In his days, Judah shall be saved and Israel shall dwell safely. And this is his name whereby he shall be called. Look at those next four words. Let's say them together. The Lord. Now, in your Bible, I know they are in your notes because I gave you those notes. But in your Bible, are those four words capitalized? No? It should be. They're capitalized in my Bible. Some of you are like, well, I need to turn in my Bible and look, all right? You don't believe me, but I'll tell you, when you get there, if you have the right Bible, you have a Bible that all of them are capitalized. Now, how many of you text? Any of you guys text on a phone? Come on, raise your hand. Don't act like you don't text, all right? Now, have you ever done this? You ever sent a text to somebody? And I didn't know this, but there have been a few times where I've capitalized some words, like the whole word. Does anybody know what it means when you capitalize a whole word? It means you're screaming or shouting, right? 
And Zechariah says, look, this is what God wanted me to do when I wrote this prophecy down, that when you come to this statement, that this is his name, this is by what he is to be called, the Lord our righteousness. That's who he is. And listen, I'm going to tell you something. You're going to be able to recognize. You know why? Because you know what we are by nature? We're sinners. We are not just. We are not righteous. But Jesus is perfect in every way. See, the implication here by Jeremiah's messianic prophecy is that Jesus himself is righteous. Now, the Bible tells us in Romans 3, look at verse 10. The Bible says, it is written, there is none righteous. No, not one. I'm sorry to bust your bubble today, but there are a lot of people who think they're a good person, but according to the Bible, there's none righteous. Now, you know what John in the Bible recorded about Jesus? Here's what he said. He calls Jesus, Jesus Christ the righteous. You know, you find Peter even in the Bible, he he describes him as the lamb without spot and without blemish. See, there's only ever been one perfect person. You know, and all the wives are like, yeah, I know, because my husband's definitely not, you know. But the reality is Jesus was impeccable. Not only did he not sin, but he could not sin. Understand this morning that he is righteous. And John says, you're going to recognize that because he is the source of all righteousness. He is the fountainhead of all righteousness. Romans 3, again, in verse 22, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all that believe. John says, look, when he comes, look, you're going to recognize him. He's not going to be in a black Toyota Camry. He's going to be righteous. But I said, he says, look, here's another way you're going to see how precise this prophecy is. You're going to recognize him because of his humility. Now think about this. The Bible says he came lowly. Riding upon an ass. Now, what's the significance behind that? Well, look, conquering kings, when they would typically come into a city, they usually would be riding on a chariot or on some magnificent horse. When they would come into town, people would be like, hey, whoever that is, he must be important because of the way that he came into the city. But the Bible doesn't say that in the New Testament or in Zechariah's prophecy. And so it's significant that Jesus rode in on a donkey. Now, again, Jesus is no ordinary king. And remember, the Bible says Jesus, when he was on this earth, he didn't even have a place to lay his head. See, his kingdom. They wanted him to establish his kingdom. But notice what he says in John 18. He says, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not from hence. So when Jesus comes into Jerusalem, he did not come into Jerusalem in the way that many believed that the Messiah would. And that kind of threw many of them. Here he is riding on a donkey. Now, why did he do that? Well, here's why. He did it to fulfill prophecy. See, the Bible is precise. Notice what Matthew writes in Matthew 21. All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell ye the daughter of Zion, Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. Notice, meek, lowly, 
and sitting upon an ass and a, and a colt, uh, the foal of an ass. Now, what does all this mean? Why, why make the big deal in the Bible? Why, why make such a big production this morning in, in the message? And here's why. Because Jesus, the king, came exactly the way the Old Testament prophesied that he would come. And I love the precision how that Jesus fulfilled prophecy precisely to the letter of the law. Now notice this prophecy again. It was powerful. Why? Because the king was coming having salvation. And notice it was precise because when he did come, they should have recognized it. Listen, folks, if they knew their Bible, and by the way, we should know ours, but if they knew the Old Testament, which is all they had, they should have recognized what it was that was happening on that day. Even his own disciples, they didn't get it. But I want you to see one more thing about Zechariah's prophecy. Notice also, it's a personal prophecy. Now, we need to remember this. Because listen to what Zechariah said. Listen, thy king cometh. I hope you can say this morning, he is my God. He's a personal God. And what I see about Jesus when he came, I remember how he cried over the city of Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. How often he said, would I have gathered you? The Bible says he came unto his own, his own received him not. They would not have him to rule over them. But see, when I see Jesus coming on what we call Palm Sunday, he came for individuals. That was his ministry to people. Didn't matter who it was. One of my favorite stories, and uh, Brother Tim and Miss Maylene, they verified this morning in the early service that sometimes back there in children's church, as we call it, that they sing that song with the little boys and girls back there. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. How many of you know that song? Some of you, I can tell, you don't know the song. You need to learn that song. Do you remember Zacchaeus in the Bible? And here's Zacchaeus. Here he is, and the Bible records that Zacchaeus heard about Jesus, and he wanted to see Jesus. Now listen, sometimes our intent is different than what it should be. See, when you read that story in the Bible, and here's what you think. Well, Zacchaeus was seeking Jesus. Can I tell you what the truth was? Jesus was seeking Zacchaeus. See, most time we get it wrong. Like, like we call it the, the story of the prodigal son. That's not the story about the prodigal son. It's about the father. See, oftentimes our emphasis, our focus is not where it should be. The Bible tells us that Zacchaeus, like so many, he heard things about Jesus. Now, no doubt he was motivated. He pressed through the crowd, the Bible says. And, and because he was a wee little man, I don't know how tall we is, but he was small, you know. And he couldn't see. So he found a sycamore tree. He climbs up in this tree, and maybe he did it because he was curious. I'm glad that he was there. I'm, I'm glad that, you know, maybe he, maybe he heard that, hey, this Jesus... I've heard people say that he socializes with people that are no notorious sinners. And maybe when Zacchaeus heard that, he thought of himself and he thought, well, maybe, maybe there's hope for me. 
And so I don't know what it was exactly that tugged at his heart to cause him to fight through the crowd, that caused him to climb that tree that day to see Jesus. But I'm going to tell you this, I really don't think it was because he was seeking Jesus. You see, we find in this passage that really what it was is it was Jesus seeking Zacchaeus. Look at the Bible says in Romans 3.11, There is none that understandeth, there is none that seeketh after God. Do you remember what it was like before you got saved? Listen to me, if you are truthful this morning, he sought out you before you ever sought out him. Now, we can't get around the fact that Zacchaeus is in this tree. I mean, he was curious. I mean, he was seeking, looking for Jesus. But I really believe that it was God the Father drawing him to himself. Notice what the Bible says in John 6, 44. No man cometh unto the Father except, notice here, ex- no man can come to me except the Father which has sent me draw him. See, I really think God was working in his heart. I think God was bringing him. And that listen, that's why Luke wrote, he says, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was what? Lost. Now see, who's lost? Everyone. All have sinned. Zacchaeus, me, you. See, he's a personal God. He came for individuals. And so here he is, Jesus is making his way through the crowd. Now, because he's God, guess what? He knew Zacchaeus before Zacchaeus ever knew him, just like he knew you before you ever knew him. Now, if Jesus wanted to, which I'm glad that he didn't, but if he wanted to, he could have just walked on by and never never given Zacchaeus a minute of his time. But I want you to look at Luke 19, 5. When he came to the place, he looked up and he saw him. And he said unto him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down. Now look at these words. For today I must abide at thy house. Those little kids, when they sing that song at at the end of that song, they, for I'm going to your house today, for I'm going. You know, I love to hear kids sing that, you know. And listen, I'm going to tell you something. Zacchaeus' whole life changed because Jesus sought him. And I hope this morning in your life, if you're a Christian, I hope you're thankful for the fact that, listen, Jesus did come. The king did come. And the whole reason that he came was he came for individuals. And Zacchaeus, yes, he wanted to see Jesus, but he really had no clue that it was really Jesus that wanted to see him. You see, Jesus came. For individuals, but can I also say this morning that Jesus came for you? Jesus came for me. The Bible says in the book of Psalms, What is man that thou art mindful of him? Has that ever boggled your mind that God cares about you? I mean, in other words, listen, we're a speck of a speck of a speck of a speck of a speck. And yet, God loves us. It's an amazing thing that God would love us so much that he would send his son. God knows us. 
And the Bible tells us in Isaiah 43, look at this. Now thus saith the Lord that created thee, O Jacob, he that formed thee, he says, Fear not, for I have redeemed thee. I have called thee by, notice, thy what? Thy name. Notice what Jesus said in John 10, 3. To him the porter openeth, and the sheep heareth his voice, and he calleth his own sheep by what? By name. Do you know that God knows your name today? You know, so many times we don't think about how personal God is. Do you know he knows everything about you? David said this in Psalm 139, Look, thou knowest my down-sitting and mine uprising. Thou understandest my thought afar off. God knows everything we do. He knows every thought that we have. And isn't it wonderful that the Bible says that God commendeth his love toward us in that while, while we were yet sinners, Christ died, you have to know that Jesus knew the people that he was coming into that city and eventually giving his life for, that they were all sinners. And the Bible says that he loves us. He demonstrated it. John records in John 15, greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his what? Isn't that interesting? Friends, do you remember the name, the word that Jesus said to Judas Iscariot before he kissed him and betrayed him? He called him friend. See, we who were enemies of God, he loved us so much that he stretched out his arms and he let them drive the nails through his hands and through his feet. He took that for us. And there's not a greater demonstration. And you know why? Because he came for you. He came for individuals. And he is still today. Listen, listen to me. We're not talking about something that happened and it's not happening anymore. I really believe that God is still seeking for people today to come into a personal relationship with him. Notice after that verse that we read earlier, he came unto his own and his own received him not. But look at verse 12 of John 1. But as many as received him, to them that received him gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. It's a wonderful thing to be called a child of God. And it's all because of him and nothing because of us. I want you to think about the message this morning as we wrap it up. And listen to me. Today, we call Palm Sunday. One week from today is Resurrection Sunday. I hope you know by now what all Jesus went through between today and over 2,000 years ago, and one week from today. And I sat and thought and meditated this week on all of that. And here's the conclusion I came to about this Palm Sunday, and here it is. Jesus knew 
all that was going to happen in eternity past, and he still came. Jesus knew that he would go to the cross for the sin of the whole world, and he still came. He knew exactly what it meant the day that he got on that donkey and rode into the city of Jerusalem. If you remember from your Bible reading, he had been into the city of Jerusalem many times. But this would be the public announcement that he was the Messiah. And he knew what that meant. You see, in just a few days, from this day, Jesus would be betrayed, he would be scourged, he would be beaten, mocked, and eventually nailed to the old rugged cross. I think there's some things that God wants us to remember. God wants us to remember, remember this week our sinless Savior took our punishment, what we really deserve. This week we need to remember that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. This week, we need to remember that we cannot save ourselves. Only Jesus can save us from our sins. And by the way, he did come to take away the sin of the world. Would you bow your heads with me this morning with our heads bowed and our eyes closed? You see, they waved those palm branches, palms of victory. Oh, they were so excited when he came. But how quickly they turned on him. I wonder this morning, have you received him? Have you accepted him as your Lord and Savior? How many of you, by an upraised hand, can say, Pastor, I am saved and I know it. Would you raise your hand this morning? I'm saved. I'm a Christian. I've believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. You can put your hands down. If you could not raise your hand, oh, think about this. Think about this passage from Zechariah, from John 12, even other places in the Bible. All that Jesus was about to go through was so that you wouldn't have to. Why don't you accept his gift? By faith. The Bible says, for by grace are you saved. Through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Let's stand to our feet this morning with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. If you need to be saved, we call this an invitation. We've dedicated the front of our auditorium, we call it the altar, place of dying to self. Maybe a place to come and pray to God. place to come and lay your burdens down at His feet. Why don't you come this morning, whatever it is that God has spoken to you about, some of you might want to come and just thank him, your king, for giving you eternal life, salvation. But if you need to be saved, why don't you come as Brother Kenny sings.
Lord, thank you for what you have done for us. Thank you for the reminder this morning. Lord, we're not even down on the disciples because we too many times forget. It's easy sometimes, the longer we're saved, to take our salvation, our new life in Christ for granted. Sometimes the way we live does not speak well that we've been redeemed. Lord, thank you for coming. Thank you for giving yourself. I pray that this week would be a week that we would think and pray and read your word and remember your great sacrifice for us. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. It's a wonderful week.